0: Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Warning, this podcast contains paranormal, conspiracy, and true crime cases.
1: The nature of these cases may be gory, unsettling, or vulgar. Please be advised. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan, and this is episode 41.
0: Damn. Can
1: we just... Like, shine some light on what Valerie said. I
0: know. I have never laughed so hard in my life She with was that Guys,
1: if you didn't see our Instagram, Taylor posted something that was like, what did it say? What's in honor thing?
0: of our 40th episode, what is your favorite creeps and crimes quote?
1: Yeah, and Valerie was like, how hype you guys get when you say <laughs> what episode you're on. You guys don't understand. Like, we are literally, every episode, we're like, oh, you probably do understand because you listen to the podcast. Yeah. But we're literally like... <laughs> 41 That's so that is crazy. so crazy. We're going to have to like hit a retirement phone soon. Like we
0: really really push it to the extreme. It's ridiculous what we do, honestly. Anyways, um <laughs> I just wanted to talk about episode 40.
1: Oh my god.
0: <laughs> I just wanted to talk about our last episode. So, um I got on my Instagram and I was like Because, okay, so I woke up this morning like I do every Thursday and I just like you do
1: every morning. You wake up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I wake up and I (laughs) press play on Creeps and Crimes. So basically, it's what I do every day. And most of the time on Thursday, I really just listen to our intro. And make sure that, like, the sound went through well. Because um, when- I
1: don't like listening to us.
0: No, I hate listening to oh us. i like... I like listening to our intro, but I cannot listen to our stories because of what happened today. Oh, my God. Guys, I don't typically <laughs> listen to my own story. Never, ever do I ever listen to my own story because I made that mistake within our first five episodes and made Morgan re- re-record them <laughs> a handful of times each. And I... I don't know what got into me today. I guess I just loved our intro. I loved Morgan's story. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep listening. It's going to be a great one. It's going to be a great episode. I even got on my Instagram and talked about it. And I'm listening to it. And the more and more that I listen to it, I'm like uh, growing with hate for myself. (laughs) I have never been more fucking angry at anybody in my entire life as much as I was angry at myself today. I sounded so fucking stupid. Why do you guys <laughs> listen to me? What the fuck? I have never no, been. No, she's
1: so hard on herself. Don't even listen to a no. word that's coming out of her guys, mouth right now. Guys, shut
0: up. No, listen. I literally talked like this. Yeah, and um,
1: well, it's hard for you uh, because of the stories. And uh, like, they're it, it's gruesome, like you don't—they're sad. Like you can't be hype about. Like we can't be sitting there hyping up this murder. They're like, "Yeah, he killed four people. <sighs> yes. Then
0: how like- the fuck does Crime Junkie do it? How does Christine they can do add it?
1: Cool little music beeps and bops. Oh God, we
0: can't do. It. I'm just lazy. <laughs> just—I've never been more angry at myself. Literally so I don't know just sorry sorry that I have the vocabulary of a four-year-old um and well, don't know how to use us. big words uh, that's like my story
1: today it's about <laughs> one oh, I have two but it's about one's in Mexico City and the other one's in Japan and like I'm not fluent in any other language and I now that I think about it I'm not even fluent in English. Exactly. Like, it's it can be embarrassing. I mean, <laughs> Which like, is why I don't listen to myself. So that's on you. That's I, your
0: mistake. I, I fucked up so bad. I really did. I have never sent out so many Snapchats just talking about it. Because then I couldn't stop listening to myself. And I was like, literally, I was in front of Sorority Village on Kingston, okay? I'm like, put, the red light turns green. And I listened to myself. And I literally said... Oh, uh, oh, okay. This is where <laughs> I said that and I left it in the recording. I literally like turned I like fucking turned off my entire stereo in my car and I was like, who the fuck let me have a podcast and who the fuck would ever download this? I have oh never been gosh. more angry about anything in my life. So I apologize and I promise to do better. And that's why I'm drinking Topo Chico um, Twisted Grapefruit. Can't read either. Also, can't read. <laughs> it's twist of grapefruit, Topo Chico mineral water, and uh, no alcohol today. Today, tomorrow, absolutely. For this weekend, today. because we're recording this the weekend before the Fourth of July, and I leave in my, for my honeymoon in three tor- oh, days. For yeah. three days, three days, and.
1: But then you also have the Fourth of July, which is
0: oh, my one year anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then a holiday for everybody. And then when y'all hear this, I'm going to be on the water.
1: Oh, in a bungalow.
0: With a drink in my hand, bitch.
1: Oh, on a net. And I'm
0: going to completely screw up the last two weeks of working on every day that (laughs) I
1: have done. Oh, well, that's what it's all for.
0: All right. What are you doing this weekend?
1: What am I doing this weekend? I have zero plans. I called literally every single marina in Knoxville. And in Rocky Top to try to find a fucking boat rental, no luck. It's a big no go. I mean, I why did I think there'd be any rentals available? I, I don't know why you two days that before July Fourth. But I tried. Um, yeah, that's it. We should talk about your party, though.
0: Uh, oh yeah, because we they faked, haven't even heard we about faked,
1: it. No, they did. We fake talk about. Oh, I fun forgot else. about
0: that. Yeah, I heard that today, but it got drowned out by my lack of oh, ability to speak. Yeah,
1: we had so much fun. Oh,
0: we had so much fun it
1: was crazy we were trying to slip and slide we did the slip and dip break your neck (laughs)
0: we did the slip oh yeah nikki's over here too why do you call it a slip and dip because that's what it's called when it has a pull at the end a slip and dip it's (laughs) called slip and dick slip and dick
1: (laughs) (laughs) slip and dick slip and dick (laughs) oh god
0: (laughs) slip and dip flip cup with two teams and it was intense I yeah. thought Peyton was going to go into cardiac arrest. <laughs> the amount of times
1: <laughs> Peyton he, was crazy. The amount of times
0: that he body slammed his body there into also, the ground.
1: There was also like um, your mom's friends. Yeah. were there and there's this little girl there and she would stand at the top of the slip and slide, slip and dip, whatever. And she grabbed the Dawn dish soap guys and she would go like this on her belly. Oh, you can't see. <laughs> she go like she this? Would Just like rub her whole entire tummy with the Dawn dish soap. Full sprint and slide. It was so freaking cute.
0: She was so I did cute. not
1: do that because we had to chug alcohol at the end of the race. Guys, and she did not because she was like nine. Two or
0: whatever. <laughs> yeah, she didn't We finish. literally chugged about fifteen seltzers. Yeah. Just in no, that it game. That's insane. not the leisure drink drinking that uh-huh. was happening either. Yeah. So there's a
1: giant pink limousine raft.
0: Oh yeah. That was the best part. Go check out our pictures like them. <laughs> and, um, and if you want to buy that float, it was from Sam's right. Sam's, Sam's club. club. It was from Sam's. So go check that out on Dolly the baby. line. Dolly baby. It was a uh, Dolly part. And Nikki got some awesome cookies mm-hmm. from yeah, this lady in Knoxville. You know, what her name was.
1: Can't K-J. remember her name.
0: K-J? KJ, KJ cookies. I think so. Question mark. Okay.
1: Really pretty coral pink cookies. Yes.
0: And the, the taste of the cookies are like butter cookies. They were melt, melt in, your in your mouth. And then we had Dos Bros oh, yeah. cater. So yum. 40,000 mm-hmm. boxes
1: of pizza. Yeah.
0: And we literally pounded every box.
1: Yeah. And I went to Florida right after. I had a flight at 6 a.m. the following morning. So I had to like get up and be out of my house at four o'clock in the morning.
0: After a day of drinking about five hundred seltzers,
1: yes, high noons.
0: Coronas, yeah. White Claws, truly every little
1: thing. So it was a struggle, but I made it, and I had a good time in Florida. That was lots of fun.
0: Oh yeah, that tell them about that.
1: Um, nothing really to tell. Um, <laughs> no, it was a lot. Of, it was really good. We went to Anna Maria Island or Anna Anna Marie. I don't know which, don't know one, which one it is, but um, it was beautiful. Uh, Clearwater and St Pete were crowded as fuck. I do not recommend.
0: Ten out of ten do not recommend. Ten out
1: of ten do not recommend unless you're like, I don't even know. It, it's off the off season.
0: Oh, I wanted to tell you this. So Alyssa, um, from our sorority mm-hmm. that listens, she DM'd me today and was like, "I'm finally off of maternity leave now, and so I'm listening again." She's like, "I'm catching up on the second part of John Benet." And she was like, I'm so excited to get back to listening. And she, y'all, she had the most beautiful baby girl.
1: Yeah. Congratulations. And
0: congratulations. And we're just so happy you're back listening. I just wanted to give you a little shout a future out. Future
1: sister. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. Are you ready to get started with our stories? Yeah,
1: let's kick it.
0: All right. Hit them with it.
1: If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control.
0: If you got a glass, pour that shit up.
1: And let's get creepy. Real first before we get started Real first. Real first. Before we get started, um, Taylor made us a bomb ass website. You guys need to go check it out. It's creepsandcrimespodcast.com, right? Yes. Right? We have a
0: dot .com. Yeah, dot
1: .com, oh baby. It is freaking beautiful. I don't know. How long did you spend on it? Probably forever
0: because you're are perfectionist- is- two days, right? Mm-hmm. I did like two days before I launched it's, it. It's beautiful. I told so Morgan in the morning before I launched it because I just knew if I didn't wait, I wouldn't have- Done. I would have been like, I can't do it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's cool, guys. So go check it out. Um, will props to Taylor on that.
0: We'll leave it uh, link to it in our description.
1: It has, yeah, it has all of our episodes. You can go up there and link. Um, it's got any like, like podcast platform. You it's can hit, like, so cute. Guys. Yeah, it's cool.
0: You, whenever you first get to it, it like gives you the option to listen now, and it'll take you to all of the places. It'll show all the emblems. Of, emblems. Emblems. Whatever it's called. Whatever. Uh, it'll say like Spotify. Logos. Logos. That's what it is. And you can click on it and it'll take you to Spotify. that page yeah. and our page on that website. And it'll make it to where you can just click subscribe and you're ready to listen. You can submit your creepy accounts yeah. on there. Oh, yes. You can put yeah. your creepy accounts through there, ladies and gents.
1: woo It's super cool and it helps us out that we have everything in one place. Right.
0: And you can do uh, story suggestions on there too. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a meet us, meet your host section. If you want
1: to learn a little bit about us, you
0: know everything. If you don't
1: know who we are yet,
0: (laughs) you're probably lucky. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good thing. All right, Morgan. What do you have for us today? What do I have for you today?
1: I have two stories for you guys today. Um, they're more creepy than paranormal conspiracy anything. They're just really creepy fucking stories. Yeah. And they are both about dolls, dolls, and even more dolls. So if you guys haven't had enough of the doll section yet, um sorry. I'm talking about it even more. So the first story starts with a man named Don Julian Santana Barrera. Uh, Spanish name so I'm probably butchering that but bear with me sorry Marley sorry Tanya I have to start adding in sorry Tanya because she gets yes. on my case she does um Julian was born in Xochimoco borough of Mexico City in 1921 Don Julian left his wife and family sometime in the mid-1900s and moved to an island on Tishulio, Tishulo Lake I think that's how you say it um the reason for leaving his family is unclear some say that he moved to an isolated spot for spiritual reasons and intended to live his life in isolation. Tichulo Lake is south of Mexico City between the canals of Xochimoco, if you guys are familiar with the geographic map, whatever, you know. Um, anyway, the only way to get to the island is by boat. So shortly after moving to the island, Julian made a chilling discovery. He came across the body of a young girl who appeared to have drowned in the lake. And shortly after that discovery, he spotted a doll floating down the canal. Assuming it was a young girl's doll, he picked it up out of the water. And being super religious and super superstitious, get that? I like fun. that. Yeah, you like that? Um, he buried the young girl's body on the island and beside her burial site, burial site? Burial. Burial site, Julian took the doll and he hung it from a tree. So he did this as a sign of respect for the young girl and to support her spirit. This island quickly became known as Isla de las Munecas or the Island of the Dolls. So my sources for today are Isla de las Munecas.com, Discovery.com, All That's and Medium.com.
0: All of my faves. Oh
1: yeah. Julian was, as I said, very religious. Um, he spent a lot of his time traveling to neighboring towns and communities preaching the gospel. But at the, that time, it was presumed that only priests were allowed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, as a result, his preaching was not welcomed by the Catholic communities that he visited in those villages. He would get jumped and beaten up Jesus. after his preachings until he was expelled from ever preaching again in the neighboring villages. Oh my god! Like they were like really strict on that. Like you cannot preach unless you are a priest. Oh my god! They would
0: literally lose like this it.
1: Man got expelled. Like from people a People would lose
0: it if they, those people would literally lose it right now. We so, literally send people to right. different countries.
1: Exactly. Um, These beatings and expulsion led to Julian becoming more and more reclusive and isolated over the years. Poor guy. After the discovery and the hanging of the doll found in the lake, Julian was apparently haunted by the spirit of this little girl. He felt that in order to please her spirit, he needed to hang more and more dolls. Oh,
0: Lord.
1: It continued to get worse when he realized the dolls themselves were possessed by spirit of the dead girl. All of the dolls? All of the dolls. Wow. So he continued to collect dolls and hang them over the entire island, thinking this is the way to solve his haunting. And he continued to do this for 50 years. He would scrounge the dolls from trash and from the canals. He ventured to the neighboring village, rarely because he was expelled, um, to sell his vegetables and to enjoy his favorite alcoholic beverage made from fermented sap of the agave plant. Oh, Is that tequila? sounds like something
0: we should do. Sounds like tequila. I think, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's tequila. Um, that Yeah, that's our sounds favorite, too. Sounds like we
0: should have some tequila in honor oh, of... Oh, yeah, I think so. Our buddy.
1: During these ventures, he would check dumpsters and alleyways for more dolls. Some dolls were hanged whole, but others were hanged... Is it hung or hanged?
0: I think it depends on the sentence, but if we know anything, it's that Taylor doesn't know shit about how <laughs> oh, to speak, God, so...
1: Either, yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, some of these dolls were like totally normal, but others were hung in various ways. They were headless, they were torso less, their eyes were carved out. (laughs) Some of them had no (laughs) legs, were cut off. Our eyeballs were blacked out.
0: No wonder this little girl's still haunting the motherfucker. He's like, she's like, Can you bring me a new doll?
1: Like, for real. Like, give me some nice ones.
0: He did and stop have, hanging them. He
1: did have some nice ones, but some didn't have any limbs. And it really just depended on how he found them. Like, he wasn't okay. like refurbishing the dolls. But I feel like you wouldn't find a doll that was ripped that only had a top half and a bottom half and no torso.
0: Like, I don't that sound. You had brothers. I feel like. Having a, that having... just
1: reminds me of toy story the, the guy the evil neighbor <laughs> yes. the evil kid what's his
0: name sid sid yeah yeah
1: right that's what that reminds me of yeah um julian was increasingly haunted by a whispering girl saying i want my doll
0: oh my god
1: Once bringing a new doll to the island, he said that the young girl's spirit was kind of like pacified for a while until she wanted a new doll. So that's where all of these dolls were coming in. Every time he'd bring a new doll, it got kind of quiet. He felt relaxed, felt unbothered. And then it would come again. I want my doll. Like maybe she was searching for a specific doll and he wasn't bringing the right doll to her. Um, he would also hear footsteps and children playing in the dead of night.
0: Fuck that.
1: Julian would wake up in the morning to the dolls moved from tree to tree. I'm not sure how he was able to tell since there is literally thousands of dolls on the island. And I don't know how he would know. Like, I hung this doll on this specific tree and I woke up and it's on this tree. I don't know.
0: Whatever. Um, this one tree.
1: <laughs> this one tree right here. In this the specific
0: branch. I drew it out.
1: Yes, exactly. So whenever things got calm, and they did for short periods of time, he would see dolls floating down the canal. No. Like he, as if like he wouldn't go get them himself. Then it was like a repercussion. That they these, would like
0: come to him. They would
1: come to the island. No. So there's more effing dolls. We just got Taylor just yelled at me for swearing. No, it, yelled I yelled at herself. myself. Okay, I didn't there's yell more at you. Fucking dolls. That's what my notes <laughs> say. Um, But there are many doubts surrounding his story. Some question the reality of the little girl who died and that she never existed in the first place. But according to those that were close to him, it was as if he was driven by some unseen force because of his demeanor and actions were just so different from before he went to live on that island. Like Julian was a completely changed man. So whether she existed or not, what is clear is that Julian dedicated the rest of his life to pleasing this little girl spirit, or a little girl spirit. As work got out of Julian's creepy island home, curious visitors started to make their way there. And Julian welcomed each visitor with open arms as he saw his collection as an assortment of beautiful protectors rather than bizarre and terrifying. Visitors reported that Julian had a cabin in his hut filled with even more dolls. These were the ones that were like in really good shape mm-hmm. that he would dress up in new dresses sunglasses and other accessories and put them on display each day <sighs> yeah i don't know maybe there's you know it's kind of like
0: sad like i i wonder if he almost has like ha- had like early onset alzheimer's uh-huh. yeah you know yeah
1: um these dolls were different than the rest like these were his dolls like these weren't the island dolls these yeah. were his dolls And they were taken care of. Rather, the other dolls strung from the trees on the island were disturbing and enduring years of weather and continuous wear and tear. So whether a story of finding this little girl was real or not, in 2001, Julian died in a very mysterious way. Don Julian Santana Barrera's body was found in 2001, drowned in the exact same spot he reported finding the drowned little girl nearly 50 years
0: before oh mm-hmm. Oh my god
1: the island of the dolls is currently owned by anastasia santana velasco who is julian's nephew and of course it was turned into a bizarre tourist attraction for the last 20 years boat tours are offered to take visits to the island of dolls from mexico city it is a four-hour round trip that costs 75 dollars um some visitors often bring their own dolls to the island as a sign of respect or to ask for a blessing There are thousands of dolls strung up on this jungle-like island. Um, But the creepiest part is that locals insist the spirits on the island of the dolls come alive at night. Locals have reported seeing the dolls move their heads and their arms and even open their eyes. Um, Visitors report hearing the dolls whispering to one another. And others get a really intense feeling when they are getting close to the island. Like they're not going there to visit it. Like they're just like passerby's. Whatever it's called. And it's almost as if the spirits are luring them closer and luring them to get off the boat and come over. So weird. So, is Julian's story true? A lot of people speculate that he was collecting dolls because he himself was possessed by an evil spirit that still inhabits the island, Mm. which drives very religious and superstitious people away. So, if his story was true, then this was brought on by a restless spirit. Or maybe Julian was possessed. Or maybe the island itself has really negative energy. Right.
0: That was another thing I was thinking.
1: Yeah. So because a super creepy story was so short, I want to tell you guys another one. Um, Flipping gears and heading over to a tiny village in Japan called Nagoro. In 2001, where our last story ended, how convenient. um, Resident of Nagoro Tsukimi Ayano returned back to her village after spending much of her life in Japan's third largest city, Osaka. I am sorry about anything that I pronounced. Oh, I was on. like,
0: you're doing so good, man. We no. were listening to the pronunciations before this, y'all. And she's killing it.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm probably still not saying it right. <laughs> um, returning home after working in the city, she found her village with population 300 dwindled down to only 30 people. Oh wow. As time went on, the elderly had died and the young people left the village for jobs in the city. There was no local grocery store anymore, there was no elementary schools, the streets were quiet, and the town was basically abandoned, it be- and it becomes increasingly void as time goes on. So when Tsukimi returned to the village, her emotions took over her, and she felt saddened that her town was nearly empty. She went home to her family's farm and started to settle in, and she quickly adapted to the lifestyle her family was living. While gardening in her vegetable garden, one day she realized that they had a serious animal problem. So her solution to this was to create a scarecrow, but jokingly made this scarecrow a replica of her father.
0: Oh. And her, was- dad,
1: her dad <laughs> didn't mind. He thought it was funny. My dad would probably think it's funny. My
0: dad would be like, get that shit out of the yard.
1: But the neighbors (laughs) thought it was a bit creepy. They'd go outside very early in the morning and they would see this scarecrow that creepily resembled their neighbor. Tsukimi said that they, or Tsukimi said, quote, they would sometimes say, referring to the neighbors, good morning, you're up working very early. And it just started up a conversation between a scarecrow and the neighbors. Okay. Okay, well... Let me pause. You okay. I'm sorry. Back it up, Terry. You Karen. have to be at this point like begging for some type of social interaction if right. you are literally talking to a scarecrow. But
0: why aren't the neighbors Knowing just talking s- to each other?
1: I don't. I'm assuming it's a village of 30 people. Like, think of that. Like, if they're not all next door neighbors, you know?
0: I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a large. But I mean, if it's close enough for the scarecrow.
1: I guess. Just go. I'm, I'm sure the- it's just like one neighbor.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, you know,
1: like, it's probably just, like, one neighbor. But why are we talking to the
0: scarecrow, y'all? I
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you have to be, like, really lonely to right. be talking to the scarecrow. Um, but then the neighbor started to enjoy the presence of her scarecrow as time went on. So Tsukimi started to create more scarecrows, gaining more skills along the way. Still emotionable, emotionable,
0: emotionable.
1: Still emotional about the loss of the town, she figured a way to help. So she started to craft doll after doll after doll until she replaced all of the deceased that originally lived in the town. So every single scarecrow looks like someone that has died.
0: They're like voodoo dolls at Mm -hmm. this point.
1: Yeah. So creepy. 400 life-size dolls started to fill the nearly abandoned town everywhere you'd look station life-size dolls are found staring back at you no she makes the dolls from straw fabric newspaper and old clothes because of the material so i mean like prone to be worn out through the weather it makes her have to replace them every so often oh my god they can be found literally everywhere in nagaro japan naming the town scarecrow village so the dolls are found waiting at the bus stops, they're stationed out in the farming fields, or they're just, like, hanging out. Um, there is one set up of, of dolls attending a wedding with a bride and groom dressed to the tee. Like, the full max. <laughs> like, you have the venue, you have people in their chairs, and they're all effing dolls. She filled a local elementary school that closed in 2012 with tw- childlike dolls as well as teachers and staff.
0: Okay, but what if, what if they need to use that wedding venue? Do they just like no tickle. one's
1: gonna use it,
0: right? I mean, there's enough people there, obviously, still that would probably get married. Okay, it's, so you have like two people to see. choose from. You have thirty people, right? There's probably
1: there's at least four to a family, three to a family.
0: Yeah, three to a family. So you got
1: about ten families there, right? The chances of them being kids are like slim to none, because that already like they already said like it's a really old town. Like okay, everyone's yeah, like the elderly, right, right. they're dying off.
0: So, yeah, you're right.
1: Um. So, anyway, this abandoned elementary school is just now home to these dolls just, like, waiting eternity
0: for class to start.
1: Just, like, imagine going to an elementary school and just seeing dolls at every single desk.
0: That's so and weird. And teachers up at the front. That is so weird. Right? I can't get over it. No,
1: I I would never. I don't know. In one classroom, only two dolls sit at the desk, and that represents the last two students that attended before the shutdown. The repopulation of deceased look alike dolls quickly became a tourist attraction. Of course. Putting the small empty town back on the map.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Go Nagoro. She did it. Single handedly brought a town back on Hell the map. Hell yeah, she did. Um the current residents enjoy the dolls and
1: are annoyed when visitors think that they are creepy.
0: Um, okay, sorry. Exactly. We're not we're we are not we are they are not creepy then.
1: But like they, but they are. are. I mean, how are they cool with just like Riding around the village, seeing these freaking dolls everywhere. That's
0: just creepy. That's just like. It's not my normal. I would
1: rather be in an abandoned town and like have seen no one than see a bunch of dolls. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you're right. Have you're you right. seen pictures of this village? Uh, no, I have not. Let me pull one up. Pause me. Okay. Waiting room music.
0: Um absolutely not
1: they Taylor they look said like they look sock like, yeah giant sock monkeys yeah and they do they're like fabric which is i don't know why you do that it's like
0: knitted fabric stuffed they look
1: like the rag doll with the red hair what's her raggedy name? ann raggedy ann they
0: literally look like raggedy ann's yeah so creepy what's raggedy ann's boy's name raggedy you're on
1: i don't know raggedy i never Randy. had a raggedy ann
0: oh i did it looked like chucky and i was scared of chucky Oh no! I had a I had a Luna and Molly. I used to have a glass doll. That was a very expensive doll. That I her name was Winnie. I took that bitch everywhere. I broke off every single one of her glass fingers. Cut mm-hmm. me up. Mm-hmm. Cut her up. Cut my grandma. I had up. A
1: twin American girl doll. Like I never had outfit. American oh, doll. Oh Tanya, what are you doing? Both the little girls had three each. Oh, I had one with the same outfit as me. It was a a purple dress, had tie-dye at the bottom, and a butterfly on the chest, and it had butterfly print leggings Uh, underneath the dress.
0: Well, me and episode 40 I I remember
1: sitting on our Dell slow-ass computer online (laughs) creating my doll to look just like me.
0: And that's so cool that you got to do that. That's Mm -hmm. awesome.
1: Yeah. Anyway, um, back to the story. Um, One of the visitors that was visiting the... (laughs) Town said, you know, it's easy to think the life-size dolls are real. Like, we still did a double take with the roadside telephone pole repair crew that was rocking on a ladder. So they had people, not people, dolls up on a ladder acting like they're fixing the telephone lines.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: I don't know. I mean, I think, like, this is, like, eerie to me, like, which makes it terrifying and that it's abandoned makes it a little bit more scary. But it's a bunch of dolls replacing the deceased in an empty town so i guess it really doesn't matter what we think as long as the townspeople enjoy their company they're the right. ones living there so more power to ya. um that is all i have for my two little doll stories uh, i showed taylor a picture of the island of the dolls which they look literally demonic to me every single doll. yeah they're
0: creepy they're not normal
1: yeah and the japan village like they look a little more normal like they look like a doll that I might have known. No, had. they straight up look like Raggedy Ann.
0: Like sock monkeys. Yeah. Like I, d- I like ugh, I can't even Creepy. Yeah. Anyway.
1: She got also, skilled. Duh, yeah.
0: Fixing those. Right?
1: Out. Starting from a, Started a from the
0: squir- Scarecrow, now we're here. But
1: Yeah. Alright, yeah. add time. <laughs> the thing that i hate every morning is doing my mascara i can live without foundation and lipstick thank you mouse for that
0: but when i don't have anything on my lashes i look dead the thing that makes my morning smoother and my routine faster is having my lash extensions done getting them done is no burden as it is the true beauty sleep that when you wake up from your nap you feel like a million bucks and hotter than kim k herself that's
1: my girl Lash extensions are new to Knoxville, but not new to the beauty world. Asia K Salon has been in business over eight plus years with nine plus advanced lash courses, allowing them
0: to give you the ultimate best lash experience possible. And let me tell you, their lash beds are comfortable. If you mention our names and that you heard us talk about them on our most recent podcast, when you make your next appointment, you will receive 44% off. You can find them on Facebook and on Instagram at Asia K Salon. Or their website, AsiaKSalon.com. Happy lashing. Okay. All right. What I'm do you back? got? I'm back, bitches. Let's see if I can handle it without stuttering. I'm back with heartburn, cause Taylor gave me grapefruit. Oh god. Never again. All, all right, let set. me get settled. Um, <clears throat> is this thing on? Oh, my God. <laughs> so today I'm going to be covering the suitcase murder. Ooh. So my sources are Wikipedia, Reddit, Case Files Podcast, ABC 2020. And the name of the episode is The Secret in the Suitcase. Ooh. My Central jizzy, Um People, Oxygen, Snapped, Murderpedia, History.com, NBC, Fox 5 New York, the book To Have and to Kill, Dateline NBC, Deadly Affairs on ID, 48 Hours Mystery, and ABC News. Oh, it's won't be a good one. Yeah, so I'm sure every person that ever watched any of those crime shows has seen this one. So, bear with me. On May 5th, 2004, a dark green Kenneth Cole suitcase was pulled on board a fishing boat with two fishermen and two of their children on board. This was in Chesapeake Bay, Virginia, downstream from a heavily traveled bridge. The kids were so excited to open it, thinking that it had fallen off the roof of one of the cars and landed in the water from the bridge. It was like pirate's treasure. They quickly unzipped the designer bag to find items wrapped in black trash bags. Before the fishermen could stop their sons from opening the unknown, one of the young boys ripped it open and screamed with horror. (laughs) Wrapped in the trash bags were a pair of pale human legs severed at the knees. Immediately, the police were called and a murder investigation was launched. However, there was little to no media on the case because of the lack of evidence and speculated by locals, it was an attempt to cover this up and not hurt the upcoming travel season. Damn. A week later, on May 11th, a they second... always do that shit. Exactly. Every big city that's, like, for travel always covers up the yeah. beginning of an investigation and ends up completely fucking up an investigation. Like, literally,
1: what's happening right now with the boat that's missing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, a week later, on May 11th, a second larger suitcase washed onto a beach, and it was discovered by a grad student while cleaning the beach. When the student opened up the suitcase, the smell of death spilled out and all into the air around. Oh, my God. Police were called and arrived on the scene to determine that it was the larger matching piece to the Kenneth Cole set. And inside was the head and torso of a white male. The man had multiple bullet wounds and looked to be in his mid to late 30s. He was a muscular military stature with a military haircut. Behind the man's head was a blanket that had the initials HCSC, which is Hospital Central Service Service Company. Uh, I don't know what I typed there, (laughs) Um, but it was HCSC which is the company that supplies medical linens to different medical offices around the entire country. So police then found a five-pound weight in the front pocket of the suitcase. Someone was trying to weigh this body down. Frantically, police began searching through the water to try to find the third and final piece that is sold in this luggage designer set.
1: What was the designer?
0: Kenneth Cole. Kenneth Cole. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to know and by used to, I mean like four hours ago, I knew by heart the name of this specific set. Couldn't tell you what it was now. <laughs> <Rainheart>. <laughs> right. So now we're looking for the final piece, and that is the carry-on. Because of the medical tactics used in dismembering and draining the the body's blood supply after death, police believe that this could have been done by some sort of gang or mob.
1: No, this is Dexter shit.
0: Right. Finally, on May 16th, the carry-on was recovered with the victim's upper legs and lower torso inside. Oh, my God. Virginia police then released a composite sketch of the victim on May 21st. Later that day, a couple came forward saying that the sketch looked eerily like their longtime friend and Navy brother, William or Bill McGuire. The couple said that he had left his wife about a month ago and has not been seen or heard from since. Police run this name to find that Bill McGuire was a 39-year-old man who lived in Woodbridge Township, New Jersey, with his wife, Melanie McGuire, and their two sons. Bill had just bought a colonial-style house in Warren County, New Jersey, on April 28th. He was a Navy veteran who now was a computer programmer for the New Jersey Institute of Technology, and he was also a small business owner. In the background research, uh, police were able to determine that Bill had not been reported missing, but he did have minor felony offense from the 80s where he wrote fraudulent checks, though he was never charged for this. But since it was a felony offense, they did have his fingerprints on file. When the couple arrived at the police station, they were shown the autopsy photos of the victim, and the wife shook her head in horror, saying that it was Bill. However, the husband, who was also the Navy veteran and served with Bill, continued to claim that it was not him, pleading that it just couldn't be. Police compared the recorded fingerprints of the victim and Bill, and it was a perfect match. Their John Doe victim was 39-year-old husband, father of two, Bill McGuire.
1: In their dig,
0: they did find something very interesting about Bill. Two days after purchasing his new family home, his wife, Melanie, filed a domestic abuse restraining order against him. Bill and Melanie had met and dated while working together as servers while Melanie was in nursing school. In 1997, the couple moved in together and got engaged, and in April of 1999, the couple found out that they were expecting their little boy, and two months later, in June, Bill and Mer- Mary? Melanie, sorry, everybody, were married. <laughs> like, dear God, here we go again, everybody. <laughs> here we go. Hold on. Okay. Okay. So in 2001, the couple welcomed their second son into the family and Melanie worked at the time um, as a nurse at a reproductive medicine associates clinic in Morristown, New Jersey. They were the perfect fit for each other, always joking around and just madly in love, both of them being extremely passionate people. Police decided to take another look at this domestic violence report that had been filed before reaching out to Melanie. And what they find is that Bill had yet to been served with it, meaning no one has seen him since this was filed. Detectives call Melanie and tell her the news of her husband being recovered, and ask all of the questions about the report, the last sighting, his life, literally everything. Melanie says that she has not seen or heard from Bill in three weeks. She said on April 29th, Bill had come home drunk after a night of gambling and passed out on the couch before waking up and starting a fight with her. It started off as an argument that was just like normal and then just completely escalated. Melanie claims that Bill slapped her to the ground before stuffing dryer sheets in her mouth. What the fuck? Right. She fought him off and was able to grab their son who had came in the room after hearing the commotion and hid in the bathroom. While they were hiding, they could hear Bill like throwing a bunch of stuff into a bag. He grabbed his keys and he left. But the last thing he said to her was that he was going to disappear, live and work under a fake name and social security number, and he would never, ever pay her any child support. She believed that he had done just that. This was a very difficult investigation for police because there was literally no crime scene and no belongings found other than just a suitcase and a body. And now that they know that it's Bill McGuire, investigators need to find his phone, wallet, keys, and car in order to piece together his last movements and hopefully lead them to some clues as to what happened and whose jurisdiction this would be under. Because he is from New Jersey and his body was recovered in Chesapeake Bay, which is in Virginia, 258 miles away from his home. Police went to his place of work where people were just so shocked and could not believe in a million years that he would ever willingly walk away from his family or his life. His family and friends and co-workers said that he was one of the kindest men that they knew, always willing to help out and take care of others.
1: Well, behind closed doors is a different story.
0: Right. The co-owner and his software company, Uh, and longtime friend told police that in the weeks after his sudden disappearance, Melanie had left two handwritten letters wedged in his front door. So the first letter explained that the family would not be moving into their new home and Melanie was going to be filing for divorce. She said that she had not seen or heard from Bill after their fight that they had. Four days later, he received the second letter. In this letter, she was asking if he had heard or seen from Bill, and the reason was because she needed help financially with the children, and she wanted to know if he had been using the company cards because there was no activity on their shared accounts. Police requested that Melanie come and sit in with them for a formal interview, considering all of the conversations up to this point had been via phone and small personal interactions. She agreed, but only if it would take place at her divorce attorney's office. When police arrived, they were surprised to see that Melanie had brought not only her divorce attorney, but a criminal defense lawyer with her. Sus, bro. Right. Like, I would not be pulling up with a criminal defense attorney. No, if I didn't need it. With an interview? Okay. Okay. So, what I want to mention here before I get into how this interview went was a tip that came from Bill's supervisor from the New Jersey Technological Institute telling police that within days of Bill's discovery, Melanie called regarding his life insurance policy. Well, the life insurance policy for the Institute is three and a half times what the employee's annual salary is, which would make Bill's payout over. $227,000. Throughout the entire interview, Melanie seemed annoyed, unhelpful, nothing like a grieving wife should be. And I don't care if you're like about to get a divorce from like this person. It's the father of your two sons. You mourn for your sons. And his body was
1: just found in luggage. And like drained
0: and sawed in three pieces, you know? So, you know, not like normal circumstances. Okay. Um, and she continued to bash Bill's character and say that his co-workers, friends, and family did not like him, calling him unfriendly, unhelpful, physically abusive, hateful, and emotionally abusive. Investigators began to ask very specific questions pertaining to the case because they were like, okay, we, okay, we get it. You don't like him, but we need stuff for yeah. this case. Did the family own a gun? No. Where did she think he was slash where did she believe his car would be? In Atlantic City, where he gambled. Did the family own a Kenneth Cole luggage set? Nope, she's never owned a brand of uh, luggage before. After the interview, police went to the family's former residence and conducted a search of the fully vacant apartment. It had been fully moved out of and deep cleaned. Police questioned the landlord on at what point that they had cleaned it out in preparations for the new tenants to only find out that it had not been cleaned yet. Meaning Melanie had deep cleaned the entire apartment herself before moving all of the family's belongings to a storage unit and herself and the children to her mother's house. The walls were freshly painted and the floors had been shined.
1: Okay, well, if anyone's mm. ever lived in an apartment, you know you don't do that shit unless exactly. you're Madison Norris. That maybe yeah, then you'll do it. You'll be on your hands and knees scrubbing with a toothbrush because you ain't getting no bill. <laughs> but if you're me
0: or if Morgan, us. <laughs> we're like, peace, <laughs> holes like, in the walls. Fuck it. <laughs> See you. You walk exactly. So luminal testing throughout the entire apartment showed false positives for blood, decomp, and saliva which typically means that the space has been completely flushed with bleach. They interviewed the landlord and the neighbors to find that Melanie was a quiet and reserved neighbor, where Bill was kind, outgoing, and always helpful, even offering constantly to help people carry up their groceries. The next day, investigators, the criminal defense attorney, and Melanie headed over to the family storage unit, where all of the furniture and family belongings were being stored. However, there was only one box of Bill's things. The rest, Melanie had gotten rid of when she thought he abandoned his family after their argument. The only things that were found were left in a little box, and it was family mementos, Navy awards and gear, and family photos. His clothing, shoes, workout equipment, and other belongings were all gone. So while investigators were searching through the entire storage unit and going through the things, Melanie had an epiphany. She says she made a mistake yesterday in the interview. She now can recall Bill and her owning a three-piece green luggage set. However, she could not recall the brand. But Bill was known for only buying designer, so she wouldn't be surprised if it happened to be a Kenneth Cole set. She never offered any explanation as to where the luggage set might be now or anything. They just moved on. Once they finished up this locker search with Melanie and her criminal attorney, police went to the owner of the facility to get a few details about when the storage locker was purchased and etc. The owner asked if they were planning to search Melanie's second storage unit.
1: Uh Uh
0: Well, Melanie never once mentioned the fact that she had two lockers. So they went back to Melanie's car before she pulled off and they said, hey, we need to search your second one. You didn't tell us about that. She was so shocked that she could barely get the consent out of her mouth. But her attorney's like, yeah, you can search it. Whatever. In the second locker, investigators found Bill's wallet, social security card, photos of his family and his driver's license. Though this was a major red flag, police still did not know where his car was, nor was that enough evidence to take in, like, to take in his evidence. It just wasn't crazy enough because it's like, okay, well, maybe he just drove off without it and she stuck it in there, you know? Right. But then why is she sending a letter about, hey, he's not using our joint accounts. We're just wondering if he's using your company card. Well, you have the company card, girly. Right. Red flag.
1: And also, I'd be like, oh, he left his wallet here. Here's all this. You can get any information out of it or something.
0: They've literally been asking you for everything that you have. So police were just like, all right, whatever. We just really care about where his car is at. So after leaving the storage unit facility, police immediately tracked down the workout equipment, hoping that it would be a match to the weight set that was found in the suitcase trying to weigh it down. They track it down, but unfortunately, it was not a match. A few days go by. When a call comes into the police station from a towing company, they were calling to let investigators know that they had Bill McGuire's car on their lot. On Saturday, May 8th, the towing company had received a call from the Flamingo Hotel in Atlantic City. After it had sat in the parking lot for more than one week, the hotel requested that it had been it would be towed. This hotel was two hours away from the McGuire's home. It's specifically known for its location on the gambling strip, which is where Melanie suggested that he might have been. Police called the Flamingo to get a timeline for Bill's stay. However, he never checked into the hotel, nor did he ever have a reservation. So why was his car there? Investigators then request CCTV footage of the parking lot in the building. The video shows Bill's car entering the parking lot on April 30th at 1241 a.m. It then shows a man exiting the driver's side door and leaving the video frame. Because of the video's quality, they were unable to confirm who the man in the footage was and if it was Bill. In the car, police found Bill's phone, laptop in the trunk, a vial of pink liquid, and a syringe with the needle missing in the console. But without knowing what to test for, investigators were unable to determine what the liquid was. Bill McGuire's funeral was held on July 4th, 2004, right before a major storm came through and it pushed the funeral back a few hours. After an hour or so, Melanie McGuire announced that she was leaving to go get her sons from the daycare and take them home and she would not be staying for the funeral. But Bill's family basically forced her to stay. Why were
1: the kids at daycare?
0: Right. Why aren't the kids there? This was no shock because Melanie already had pressured the family to cancel the funeral because she did not want the press to be around her. And before that, she refused to give any photos of Bill or do any of the planning for the funeral, leaving it all on Bill's family, Navy friends, and siblings. A week after the funeral, Melanie put the family's brand new home for sale. In the meantime, the jurisdiction was finally decided for the police departments, and they were able to do a deep dive back into the original case starting from square one. Investigators began with retrieving samples from Bill McGuire's body. This includes urine, blood, DNA, and saliva samples. Next, they took a second look at the suitcase. In them, they found a long brown hair, red nail polish, and purple fibers. If you can remember, in the beginning, when Bill's upper torso was found, he had a blanket wrapped behind his head. That blanket was owned by the hospital linens company that I mentioned earlier, HCSC. So investigators contacted this company to get a list of their clients in the area, and guessed who was on the list.
1: Melanie. Mm-hmm.
0: The Reproductive Medical Associates Clinic in Morristown, New Jersey, where Melanie McGuire worked as a nurse. Her co-workers reported that she had taken a few of the blankets home to protect her china and furniture when moving out of her apartment, not to mention the fact that the black trash bags found that, that Bill's bodies were wrapped in were exact match to trash bags found in Melanie's storage locker. Such a close resemblance that when tested by forensics, it showed that each of the bags would have been made within minutes of each other on an assembly line. The bullets found in Bill's body were special purpose, flat fronted 38 caliber wad cutter bullets. You can tell I know not shit about guns because Same, good Lord. I not know what any of that meant. <laughs> um, these are designed for shooting paper targets. Investigators, began to believe that this was an inexperienced gunman. However, no one in Bill's life or in the suspect pool had purchased an 83 caliber handgun in New Jersey. But that might not have been the case for the neighboring states. So if you're looking around for a lax gun law state to buy a firearm low key, where are you going to go? PA, baby. Oh, (laughs) that's right. Investigators began looking through gun purchases in Pennsylvania, and guess whose name pops up? Dun-dun starts with an M, ends with an Melanie. Melanie McGuire. Three days before Bill went missing, Melanie went to Easton, Pennsylvania and bought a small thirty-eight caliber handgun and ding-ding-ding, wad cutter bullets.
1: Guilty as charged. Yep, they were
0: $9.25 and they were rung up as a miscellaneous item. There was only two things in that entire store that were that exact price. It was like a pack of gum and that. Gum? It was like one of those big uh, buckets of them. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So in early 2005, Melanie became one of their number one suspects. Keyword, one of. However, they were convinced that there was no way that she could have done this by herself. And by March of 2005, all of her phone lines had been tapped. There were three constant conversations that stood out to investigators. Do they have to
1: tell you when they do that?
0: No. Not if you're a suspect.
1: I My phone's so tapped. Not that I'm a suspect in anything. I'm like, what I the just, fuck did you do? I just think that they're, like, listening on me all the time. Oh I mean, Yeah,
0: because we talk about really, like, not okay stuff. Yeah. <laughs> So the three constant conversations that stood out to investigators were one, Melanie and her stepfather. They constantly spoke, but when they spoke, they would speak in some sort of like code. They would never have like full conversations over the phone. Number two, she had a regular and deep conversation with this man named James Finn. Number three, Melanie had conversations with her boss, Dr. Bradley Miller And they were anything but professional. Investigators found out that Bradley and Melanie had had an ongoing affair for years. First, though, let's talk about James Finn. He and Melanie had attended nursing school together where they were very close friends. At the end of their schooling, when Melanie met Bill, James professed his love to Melanie but was turned down because she was head over heels for Bill. Melanie assured him that they would still be best friends, but you know how that goes. Right. And in April of 2005, James was brought in by police for an interrogation because of his flirtatious phone calls and history with Melanie. James claimed that he and Melanie had reconnected only in September of 2004, so four months after Bill was found dead because he wanted to check in on her. But after being told about Bill's instructing Melanie to go buy a handgun... James just, like, fell apart. That's going to come up in a second. I just realized that when I switched my notes around, that doesn't make sense. So that'll come up in a minute. (laughs) Uh, Just stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, He explained that after years of losing touch with Melanie, Melanie began writing him emails in February of 2004, so three months before Bill's murder. She told him about her shitty life, abusive marriage, and she went on and on and on about her fear of Bill and his addictions. And weeks before Bill went missing, James received a very worrisome email from Melanie. It was so bad that James responded to her immediately, telling her to take the kids and leave the house immediately. He told her that she needed to leave an abusive relationship and it was one of the hardest and most dangerous things she might ever have to do in her life. Therefore, she needed to buy a handgun. He recommended that she would buy a 40 caliber 9 millimeter semi-automatic handgun. And in the next few days, he asked her if she had made the purchase. She continually denied it and said that she just couldn't do it. James realized in this interrogation that he had, she had lied to him and worked out an immunity deal for himself. He even agreed to have tapped conversations with Melanie orchestrated through police. In the conversations, he asked her about the gun using the excuse that police questioned him and he knew and she knew about it. Sorry. He knew she had lied. Sorry, everybody. I'm doing better. And <laughs> she said that she had no idea that it disappeared with Bill. And the last time she saw it was in a lockbox that Bill used in their old apartment that she hasn't seen since. You okay? Yeah. She's choking everybody on water. So, now let's move on to Dr. Bradley Miller. Doctor, on,
1: doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case i love it you.
0: I had a jazz dance to that. Of course. Yeah, of course I did, right? Um, on May 13th, 2005, Bradley Miller was summoned with an attorney for a four-hour interrogation that led to, to an exchange for immunity. It turns out that they have been together since March of 2001, when Melanie was 38 weeks pregnant with her second son, they started hooking up.
1: Oh, shit. Fucking
0: gross. And you're a reproductive doctor? Sheesh. Gross. Sheesh. Sheesh. (laughs) Thank you. Nikki's still here. Um, Bradley and Melanie would communicate through secret cell phones, and they would rent motels, and both were planning on leaving their spouses. The day that the Maguires finalized their purchase on the new home, Melanie told Bradley that today was the day. She was going to go home and leave Bill that night, so that way they could be together. That night, Bradley called Melanie multiple times, trying to figure out what the outcome of the conversation was, a.k.a. he's a pussy and didn't want to leave his wife and left she le- unless she left yeah, her husband. he
1: needed confirmation.
0: Yeah, before he left. However, over and over again, he got her voicemail. It wasn't until 9 a.m. the next morning that Bradley and Melanie finally spoke. It was then that Melanie told Bradley about Bill shoving the dryer sheets in her mouth and leaving the family behind. She told him that her plan was to file a restraining order and get divorce papers served to Bill immediately. Throughout the entire month of May, even after Bill's body was found, even on the day of, Bradley and Melanie still fucked around.
1: Oh, my God. A.K.A. he never actually left his wife. Awkward. Oh, shit. And he's being pulled into all this. Yes.
0: The day that Bill's go down. car was recovered, Melanie called Bradley, telling him that the CCTV footage had shown a man walking on the screen. But what she diclo- disclosed to him would be the key piece of evidence that would link Melanie to Bill's murder. She told Bradley that it wasn't a man caught on the camera. It was her. She explained that after the fight with Bill that he stormed off and left the house and shoved the dryer sheets in her mouth and shit, she took the kids to her parents' house, and she decided to go find him. So she drove two hours to Atlantic City and found his car outside of the casino. In a fit of rage, she abandoned her own car in the back parking lot and used a spare key to move Bill's car to the flamingo so he would not have a car and be confused she was too tired to go to go home and get i'm sorry to go back to the casino and get her own car so she just called a cab and had that cab drive her 2 hours back to her house by the time she got home she was all hyped up again and decided to call another cab that was off duty and paid in cash to ride the 2 hours Back to Atlantic City, okay? So, the CCTV footage was at 1241 a.m. So, she's saying she moved it over there after driving two hours, so she probably left her house at like 1030, mm-hmm. got there, was pissed off about the thing, moved the car, and um, she's saying that she drove two hours back, so now it's like, what, three in the morning? Right. And then she hails another cab at 4 in the morning just yes. to drive two hours back to go get her car. At 6 a.m. And then drive two more hours back and get back by 8 and then an hour later call her lover.
1: And not Bradley. go to sleep. And
0: not go to sleep. Right. Right. Okay. So, she said two days after not, from, after not hearing from Bill, Melanie asked her stepfather to drive her back to Atlantic City and that they were going to look for his car together. When they got there, his car had not been moved. On May 18th, she drove back to Atlantic City on her own to find that the car had been moved. She also told Bradley that three days before the closing of their home, Bill asked Melanie to go purchase a handgun for the family, this is what I was talking about earlier, um, since he could not due to his criminal record. He wanted the gun because of the location of their new home, and she agreed and went to Pennsylvania to purchase the gun. Dr. Bradley Miller told police that looking back at this, it should have all been suspicious, but at the time, he did not think anything of it because he was so worried for his lover and eager to start their new lives together. Police immediately contacted all the cab companies in in Atlantic City and all the way to Morristown, New Jersey. None of the companies had any record of a woman being driven the two hours by herself, not once, but twice. In fact, there was no one that would have been willing to make that drive at that time of night.
1: On- Cab companies have to be, like, really hard to track down. You know what I yes. mean? Like, they – people don't remember. I mean, I right. probably – I mean, I I'd probably remember, but they don't uh, – guys, especially, they don't pay attention to that shit. But, like, if or, it was like, a I mean, single
0: woman, like, you know. Yeah, You I would guess. know. So, another thing that was a red flag for Dr. Miller was that – all of the nurses in his office had prescription writing, uh, grant, like what's it called? Grant, like they were granted those abilities to do it for the doctor. Okay, yeah. And the, the legal, yeah, yeah. So the doctor, um, the, the nurses could just write anything. So there was this one woman that had been prescribed by Melanie. This pink liquid and i can't remember the like scientific name of this medication it was to be inserted with needles so melanie sent like prescribed it to this lady under dr miller's name and turns out that was the same vial of the pink liquid that was found in bill's car
1: what what was it for
0: do you know uh basically it would just like sedate you. Okay. Yeah, it was like a sedative, which I'm like why would you give this to a pregnant woman? Right. Question mark. You know, exactly. Weird. Whatever. So, um Melanie had prescribed it under her lover's name. So, immediately Bradley is like pissed off and he's like, "All right, whatever. I'll get in on helping you with anything."
1: Mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: On Thursday, June 2nd, 2005, Melanie took her kids to daycare. As she was walking back out to her car, she was surrounded by law enforcement and arrested for first-degree murder of her husband, Bill McGuire. She was immediately booked at the Middlesex County Adult Correctional Center, and her bell was set at $750,000. Police obtained a warrant for her new apartment and found the lockbox mentioned in James Finn's story. In it, they found Bill's wallet, meaning that she had moved it from the secret storage unit. Five days later, Melanie's parents used their home as collateral to bail her out. After being released on bail on October 11th, 2005, there was a grand jury hearing to determine if there was enough evidence to indict Melanie for first degree murder. In the middle of this hearing, when the last witness was being interviewed in front of the jury a FedEx package was delivered and rushed into the room. The jury was taken out um, of the chamber and the trial was paused during the inspection of this package. Inside was a silver bracelet, a wedding band, Bill's car keys, a calendar that said, set her up on the back, medications, and a few buds of weed.
1: Nah. uh
0: With a letter attached saying that it was... From an anonymous witness from Bill's sister's office, which Bill's sister's name is Sydney, and she worked uh, in a real estate office. And all of the things in the package were found in Sydney's desk. It explained that this was an elaborate murder planned by Sydney and Bill's mother, so that way she could raise Bill's two boys as her own since she could not have kids. And the life insurance policy would basically give her and his kids like m- best life so ever. So why
1: do you kill your own son and not his wife?
0: Right. Sydney did currently have custody of Bill's kids, but the address to her office was wrong, and so was Sydney's name. It was spelled wrong. FBI linguist, um Fitzgerald, who literally solved the Unabomber case was brought in, and it was determined that the handwriting belonged to none other than Melanie McGuire. Uh -uh. It was then seen on a CCTV footage that Melanie bought and sent the package, making her a literal laughingstock and guilty as fuck. She was indicted with the charges of first-degree murder, desecration of human remains, third-degree perjury for false statements to the court, and possession of a weapon for unlawful purpose. Her bail was increased to $2.1 million. She then hired a famous criminal defense lawyer named Joe Tocopina. Tocopina? Tocopina? And a website was set up for donations to help her meet her $2.1 million bail. She met it and was released again. Ah. A year later, it was determined that Melanie's DNA was found on the driver's seat of Bill's car, along with Bill's blood and microscopic human sawdust, a.k.a. what would be on the floor in an OR when a bone is sawed. On April twenty third, 2007, Melanie McGuire's trial murder trial jury found her guilty of first-degree murder, saying that the evidence established her as a murderer beyond a reasonable doubt. Shortly after her conv- convention, conviction, hello, before her sentencing, she appealed for a new trial on the basis of a jailhouse informant claiming that her husband was murdered by the Atlantic City mobsters after he was loaned money from them to uh, cover the purchase of the house. Honestly, when you
1: first started saying the story, I was like, oh, he probably owed someone money if he was a big gambler. Right. So that, that yeah, but not with all this. The
0: story was absolutely debunked, and she was denied. On July 19th, 2007, Melanie McGuire was sentenced to life in prison at the age of 34. She appealed three more times, uh, even saying that her hotshot defense attorney was, like, stupid. Cry crazy. Literally. That's all you can
1: do right and,
0: now. And um, she denied, another, she was denied for all three appeals, meaning that she could not get another appeal ever, and um, she's not even eligible for parole or another appeal until, uh, for 63 years. Holy so shit. So, basically, what police think happened is that they got in an argument when she was trying to leave- she shot him um, after listening to James Finn about protecting herself and lying to make it seem like he was some crazy person. And um, then she went to, like, her use her medical training to basically medically take off all of his limbs, drain but his blood.
1: Why not just stop after the shooting and say he attacked me with self-defense?
0: why go through all of this so here's a really creepy thing that i want to mention so the book that i mentioned in the beginning it's to um let me find the exact name of it it is to have and to kill and i can't remember the author's name or else i'd put it on here but you can literally look up melanie uh, mcguire into having to kill and it'll pull up so one of the creepiest things is that for christmas in 1995 this is before the couple was even engaged okay Melanie bought Bill a hardcover copy of the book Dolores Claiborne by Stephen King. Do you know this novel? mm The book is about a woman who kills her abusive husband and gets away with it. She signed the book saying, Merry Christmas. Here's the story of a woman with true strength and wisdom. You can learn a lot from her. I sure did. What the fuck? And that is the suitcase murder. Oh, that was good. This is a long ass story, but yeah, it it's was good. long, but it was good. N- Nikki, n- y'all, what you guys don't know is this: this case has taken two weeks of watching videos, listening to case files. I have that man's Australian accent burned into my soul. Bill McGuire, Bill <laughs> McGuire, and Melanie, and literally, y'all. Nikki has listened to the Case Files episode probably 37 times with me. She has no idea what the entire outcome of it was because she listened to it in bits and pieces with me. Oh, my God. And between Rides to the Gym... Being in the gym, me discussing it, she like she was such a trooper. Thank you, Nikki, for your help with this. But guys, I am. I, if I hear fucking Bill McGuire's name again, I'm gonna literally rip my ears out. Like I
1: just don't understand why she had to go to that extent. Isn't
0: that the craziest case ever?
1: And like you made you set yourself up. Like no, honey, you didn't get away with it. You didn't even try to get away with it. Mm-mm. You thought
0: just throwing some suitcases here and there in the ocean was gonna. You thought you were a Stephen King model girl, right? I mean, Stephen King. Yeah, it's and finally we're back, and my my stutter is here and <laughs> live,
1: and, and we're going it on that note.
0: Yep, and so that is it. Do we have any TFUs? Mm. We didn't drink enough to have any TFUs. No, no but, TFUs. Um, anyways, guys, thanks so much for listening. Go ahead and give us a rating and a review while you're here. Go follow us on our social medias: um, Instagram at Creeps and Crimes Podcast, Twitter Creeps underscore, underscore Crimes. crimes. TikTok, Creeps and Crimes, and our website, Creeps and Crimes Oh, yeah, Creeps and Crimes, and, Crimes, and, Crimes Podcast dot com. Oh, yeah. and you guys can send in your stories or suggestions. On that website, check out, just go, just go look at it. Just, we want
1: them, we want them, we want Even em. just
0: say hi, even if you want to. But yeah. please, uh, please, please send us your creepy accounts. We have, I think, two right now that are good. so good. One of them will literally I didn't leave even get you to shaking. see the second one, yet, but. yeah. Yeah, it just came up, I think, like yesterday. So go, please send us your creepy accounts. Please, please, please. You can email it to Podcast at gmail.com or you can submit it through our new
1: Website. Website.
0: Because we're like that famous. We're that adult now. So, anyways, check us out and uh, let us know what you think in the rating and review. Five Five stars. Thanks. Five stars only. Bye. All right. Bye.